we come to the end of the entirety of the Bible. We come to the end of our study. What an amazing study it's been. Revelation chapter 22. In the 19th century, there was an individual named William Miller who decided that it would be a good idea to begin his own religion. And in his religion, he said that Jesus was going to come back between March 21st, 1842, and March 21st, 1843. And though everyone was probing him as to how this could possibly be, he said, this is certain, I know for a fact. Well, shock of the century, it didn't happen. Disappointment swept through the entire group that was following him, that believed his message, And when asked, how did we get this wrong? Why didn't Jesus show up? William Miller said, I simply miscalculated. So, new prediction he gave, October 20th through the 22nd, 1844. October 20th through the 22nd, Jesus apparently needs a little window of time to show up. So, little window here, Jesus will show up now. He had more followers, which I find strange that more people, after the first prediction failed, more people joined this cult. In Philadelphia, there was a store that had a sign that read, quote, we will be closed on these dates, October 20th through the 22nd, 1844, because our king is returning. Get ready to crown him Lord of all. People in his cult sold all of their possessions sold all of their possessions. Why, if Jesus is coming back, do you need to sell it and get money? They wore white robes. They waited in a field for his return. They waited, they waited, they waited. Jesus didn't come back. Miller died five years later. And on his tombstone, his followers chiseled these words. At the appropriate time, the end shall be. At the appropriate time. <laughs> we, we failed a couple of times in our predictions, so at the appropriate time, the end shall be. They finally got it right. At the appropriate time, Jesus will descend with a shout. At the appropriate time, our Savior is coming back. He is coming back. That's certain. That's as certain as the resurrection. Jesus Christ is coming back. We should talk about that often. We should think about that often. We should sing about it more than we tend to. Jesus is coming back. He proclaimed that as a reality, and that is a true reality. He's coming back. But with that proclamation comes a glorious invitation. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. We don't know how quickly. We don't know how soon. We can't put a date on it. But we know that he is returning, and the question is, with that proclamation of I am coming quickly, what have you and what have I done with the invitation that's inside that proclamation? There's an invitation inside of the reality of Jesus coming back. What's the the Bible about? What's the whole Bible about? If you had to sum up the entire message of the Bible, what's the whole Bible about? And if you give the Iwana answers of God or Jesus, you're correct. Yes. The Bible is about God. The Bible is about Jesus. 
If you want to go majority rules with the people group, the Bible's about Israel, right? There's more ink spilled on the people of Israel than any other people in the Bible. What's the Bible about? If you boiled the entire message of the Bible down, I think we could say this. The Bible is a book about the glory of God revealed through the gospel of Jesus going to all the nations of the world. The Bible is a book about the glory of God revealed through the gospel of Jesus going through all the nations of the world, going to them all and bringing with that glorious gospel an invitation. This book is an invitation. Our God is an inviting God, and I mean that in two different ways. Not only is he a warm, drawing, appealing, wooing God, but he's also inviting in the sense that he has personally addressed you with an invitation. The God of the universe wrote a book for you and for me to read. The Bible is an invitation. Unlike any other invitation, most invitations tend to overpromise and underdeliver. And the Bible is an invitation that never does that. When we get to the end of Revelation 22, after everything's been seen, after everything's been studied, after we've read through the entire counsel of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we come to the final, the last, uh, the ultimate invitation given to you and to me this morning. Let's read it together in Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Father, we come before you and we realize that we have absolutely nothing to offer. We so long to see what we are supposed to see in this passage, to feel what we are supposed to feel from this passage. We want to worship Christ the way that he must be worshiped. But we have nothing to offer on our own to accomplish those things. We come completely dependent, completely needy. God, we need you. We are a needy people. We are a broken people. We are a desperate people. And God, we're a hungry people. We want to feast on Christ. And we don't even know what it means to do that with a pure heart. So Father, we are asking for something supernatural to take place in these moments, for your Holy Spirit 
to open our eyes. As we pray every Lord's Day, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. With our physical minds, we could see and we could understand, but with our, without our, our spiritual eyes being opened, as Paul prays for in Ephesians, without the eyes of our heart being enlightened by the Holy Spirit, we will not understand. We will see but not see. We will hear but not hear. God, give us soft hearts, tender hearts, teachable hearts, moldable hearts. And God, take these moments as fleeting as they are and work something in them that is eternal. We feel like that little boy with the picnic lunch. We don't have much to offer. Do something amazing with it. Multiply it. Magnify it. Exponentially so in our hearts. Do something in us this day that will reverberate in our hearts on into eternity. And Jesus be exalted in our midst. Be our greatest affection, our greatest treasure, our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction. We pray it in your name. Amen. The final verses in Revelation 22 teach us four reasons why God's invitation to us is so crucial, why it's imperative for us to hear it. Four reasons why we must listen to the invitation that God himself is giving through his word. Reason number one, this is an infinite invitation. This is verse 16. This is an infinite invitation. Invitation. This invitation is unlike any other invitation because of who it comes from. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. This is a mirror image to what we saw at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. A perfect bookend to what John had written. This book has been sent by an angel from God through the seeing and the hearing, written down, blessing all who would obey it because the time is near. Jesus is solemnly testifying to its veracity. The titles that Jesus took to himself, Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and the end, he's saying, I am God. This is such a perfect way to end this book by saying, listen, uh, heed, obey, understand, and live according to it. Jesus says, I'm the one who did these things. I'm the one who wrote these things. I'm the one who's inviting you. Either this book is nothing but base and blasphemous forgery that we should not be paying attention to. We should not be reading it, studying it. If this is not true, we really are, of all people, most to be pitied because we're taking a Sunday morning and talking about a book that's false. But if it's true, if it's from Jesus Christ himself, and it is, It's directly inspired and authoritative. It's the most directly inspired and authoritative work in all of the world. This is from God himself. Jesus says, I'm writing these things to you for the churches. To you, that's the second person plural, to you all, to plural you. My Bible says for the churches, but it's literally in the churches. To those who are in the churches, to all who are in the churches. You in the churches can be encouraged and built up through this invitation that's being given. Why? Well, because it's an infinite infinite invitation. End of verse 16. I am the root 
and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I am the root and the descendant of David. You all know David, right? David and Goliath. You know uh, David, King David. He was the first king. He was a man after God's own heart. And we were told, the prophecy was that the king would come from David's lineage. So we're expecting the Messiah, the king, to be an, an ancestor, somebody or a descendant of David, someone who's going to follow after David. And so Jesus is. But what we didn't expect is that the one to follow after David and be his heir, be his son, would also be his ancestor. That's why Jesus says, I am both the descendant, yes, the one who comes after, but I'm also the root, the one who brings about. The root is before, the descendant is after. Root is first, then the tree. Jesus is saying, I am both the ancestor and the descendant of David. So the question is, how is that possible? This is Psalm 110. This is what Jesus himself said to the religious leaders during the Passion Week. How can David say that the, the, the Messiah will be both David's son and David's Lord? How is that possible? And the only answer to that is he's eternal. He has to be eternal. He has to exist before David and then come after David. And that's why Jesus says, that's me. I am eternal. I'm also the bright morning star, says Jesus. I am the bright morning star. That's a, an expression to describe the, the first star that you see at night as it's becoming dusk and darker, and you see that first star, that's the bright morning star, or you could say it the other way, it's the last star to be seen in the morning as the sun comes up. It's the last star that hangs on. It's the brightest star in the galaxy that we can see. The devil himself was called the bright morning star. He was given that description in Isaiah 14, 12. Because he was the brightest of all of the angels. He was the most beautiful, most glorious of all the angels. And he thought, I can take over God's place and be the bright morning star of all things, everything. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. That's why he, in his rebellion, took, as we saw even in Revelation, a third of the angels with him. Jesus is the true bright morning star. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, we saw this uh, earlier in Revelation with the description of the bright morning star in the um, letters to the seven churches. But Balaam, in his prophecies concerning Israel, he said, there will be a scepter, and the scepter will come from Jacob, a star coming from Israel. A bright morning star to, to show up in the darkness, to illuminate the darkness, to give hope in the midst of despair, and to conquer all of Israel's foes. Jesus is that star. He is the light of the world. He brings light. Darkness characterizes eternal life apart from Christ. The new heavens, the new earth, as we've been studying, doesn't need the sun because Jesus is the glory of that location. He is the bright morning star. And darkness cannot win, will not win. Jesus there's a beautiful description of him for those of you who know the Lord of the Rings is Gandalf is that Christ character who battles the Balrog, goes down gray, but then comes up white, resurrected in brilliant glory. That's our Savior, resurrected in brilliant glory. Nothing can hold him. No evil can defeat him. He is the bright morning star. So Jesus is eternal. 
And the, inv- the invitation that comes with Jesus is an eternal invitation. Jesus has been the Savior from before time began. We saw that in the book of Revelation. This is uh, the, the description of the Lamb's book of life that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, Jesus had the plan from the Father through the Spirit to come to earth to die in our place. Long before creation ever existed, the Son was the Savior. So have you received not only the invitation that Jesus has given, but have you received Jesus himself? Do you believe that he's the eternal Savior? Do you believe that he is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world? Do you believe these things? Do you have faith in these things? The reality of what happens as we gather together in a church setting is we are desiring to grow our faith in Christ, to grow our love, our affections, and our faith in Christ. And so often people think the best way to do that is just to say, you need more faith. Hurry up and get more faith. You need more faith. Stop not having faith, but get more faith. But the way to increase your faith is not for me just to say, increase your faith. Hurry up. Do it. That's not the way to do it. Faith is a response. It's a reflex action. You are responding to something else. Your faith increases by the object of your faith increasing in your view. The more that you think whatever it is you're focusing on is worthy of your affections and it gets bigger in your mind, it gets bigger in your view, it gets bigger in your heart, the more you're going to hold on to it, the more you're going to love it. So my job and your job when you're reading the word of God is not to say, I want more faith. It's to say, God, show me more of you so that a natural response is, I want more of you. It's a natural response. It's a reflex response. So here, as we get to the end of Revelation, we have seen our Savior on display time and time again. But here at the very end, Jesus says, let me remind you of who I am. I am eternal God, very God. I am bigger than you could possibly imagine. Respond to him today as the one giving us this infinite invitation. See Christ as more glorious than anything in this world. And you will always say yes to him. And you'll be fine saying no to everything else. Number two, we need to have this invitation. We need to hear it and receive it. Not only because it's an, inv- it's an infinite invitation, but number two, it's an individual invitation. It's an individual invitation. This is verse 17. This is an invitation that goes out to individuals, to specific people. There are four imperatives that are given to us in verse 17. Three times the imperative come, one time the imperative take. Do this right now. It's a command. Do this right now. And many people ask, who is the spirit talking to? Who is the bride talking to? Because the spirit in verse 17 and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. And then the one who is thirsty says, they can come. And the one who wishes can take the water of life without cost. So who is the recipient of this invitation? Who is the one being addressed? There are many people who will split them up. Uh, split up these two, uh, the four imperatives into two categories. The spirit and the bride are saying, come to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, please come quickly. You're coming back, but please come now. And then the one who hears, who's heard the testimony of this book is saying, Yes, Jesus, please come quickly. We want you here now. But then there's this monumental shift because the next section could never apply to Jesus. The one who is thirsty, come. Jesus, are you thirsty? Please come. That obviously doesn't work. 
So I think if we put all of these together in that fourth imperative, take the water of life without cost, that obviously cannot apply to Jesus. I think if we take all of them together, if all we had is the first two, yes, that's about Jesus. Jesus, come quickly. But I think because we have the last two, if we put all four of them together, I think that this is directed, all of these imperatives are directed to people. None of them are directed to Jesus. And if you feel bad because you want one of these to be directed to Jesus, please, Jesus, come quickly. Don't worry. That's verse 20 and 21. We'll be, we'll be okay. There is an imperative. Please, Jesus, come back. I think verse 17, all four of these are the spirit, the bride, and the one who's heard the testimony of this book, pleading with people, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to Christ. Notice what kind of people this invitation goes to. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. So yes, the gospel goes to the world. But it goes to individuals in the world. It's not a generic invitation. It's a personal invitation. Let the one, let anyone, specific one, let anyone come The Holy Spirit gives this invitation, verse 17. The Holy Spirit does this elsewhere in the Bible. John chapter 16, verse 8. When the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Titus 3, 5. Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit saying, I can wash you, I can cleanse you. I'm giving you an invitation. Come. The Spirit through the Word is pleading. Even now, in this very moment, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is pleading with you. Come to Jesus. And we as the church should be pleading. The bride says, come. And the one who hears, the one who receives, who hears, obeys, and receives says, yes, come. Come join me. Come follow Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. This is what Paul says so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. We beg you. No believer should ever be beyond the place of begging someone to come to Christ. Plead, beg. That's what the spirit, the bride, the one who hears, they're saying, come. Come. The great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. They're saying, come, you can make it. We're here at the finish line. You can make it too. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Take every weight and encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us. Take it, throw it off, and come to Christ. What's the prerequisite for receiving this invitation? What do you have to do to receive it? If you're here this morning and you're wondering, okay, that's an invitation I want to receive. How do I get it? What do I need to do? Notice, the only qualification is desire. That's it. Let the one who is thirsty come. And the one who wishes Do you desire to follow Jesus? 
Are you thirsty? The only qualification is desire. It's not merit. You cannot earn this invitation. You cannot work for this invitation. The only qualification is, do you desire him? This is why people who love their sin will never receive this invitation because they don't have any desire that's going unmet by their sin. They love their sin. Their desires, as low and as shallow as they are, are being met by their sin. So therefore, I don't thirst for anything else. I don't have a passion for anything else. I don't have a love for anything else. I don't have a longing for anything else. All of my desires are met by my sin. So why would I turn to the Savior and lose all that I love? Do you desire to turn to Christ? Are you done with your sin? Have you come to the place where you realize it does not satisfy? In fact, more so than just not satisfying, it plays the worst trick on you possible. It promises satisfaction, and then it gives you disheartening consequences, destructive circumstances. Do you love your sin, or do you love the Savior? Would you be done with your sin today? Turn to Christ. An invitation is an opportunity, but it's also a responsibility. You have been given an invitation. You have to do something with it. It's now in your hands. One commentator says it this way, None of those who are finally lost will ever have occasion to complain that the provisions made for their salvation were not sufficiently ample. They can never reasonably object that the light given to show them the way of life was not sufficiently clear. They can never excuse themselves on the ground that the invitations and entreaties that mercy has given to them to turn and to live were not sufficiently full and free. Yet they will not come. Acting independently and deliberately, they refuse to come. So, when they shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God and themselves thrust out, they will have no one to accuse and no one to blame but themselves. An invitation is an amazing opportunity, but it's also a responsibility. The only qualification to come and obey this command, to receive this invitation, is your desire And what's the promise attached to this invitation? If you do receive it, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take water of life without cost. If you're thirsty, you will be satisfied. If you are poor in spirit, you will be filled. The promise is that you will be satisfied by the fountain of living water. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, the promise, give you rest. John chapter 6, verse 37. Whoever the Father gives to the Son, whoever comes to Christ, I will in no wise cast out. There is no way I will ever turn them away. There's a beautiful promise attached to you coming to Christ. What's the cost? What's the price that needs to be paid in order to receive this invitation? Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Remember we said Isaiah 55 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Behold anyone who wants, anyone who has the desire, listen to this, Isaiah says. And it's really God speaking. If you want to come and to purchase without any money that you have, purchase milk, purchase wine, purchase what you need to be satisfied with no money, with no cost to yourself. The cost has been paid by Christ. The the price has been paid for you. 
There is no cost to you to receive this. It's simply saying, I'm done with sin, which is repentance. I'm turning to Christ, which is conversion. Buy with no money because the price has already been paid for you. Have you received this invitation? Do you give this invitation to others? This is an individual invitation. This is given to specific people. Do you go to the people in your workplace and realize that God has given them an invitation personally through you? I love the way one author says it. Come if you would inherit mansions where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death can never enter. Come if you would have a right to the tree of life and pluck its immortal fruit and eat and live. If you would drink of the water of the river of life that flows from the throne of God clear as crystal. Come if you would obtain through those glittering gates of pearl an abundant entrance into the eternal city. If you would walk in its streets of transparent gold. If you would behold its glowing foundation stones. If you would see the king in his beauty on his throne. Come if you would sing the jubilee song of millions and share their joy. Come if you would join the anthems of the redeemed with their melodious harps and know that your exile is forever over and this is your eternal home. Come if you would receive a palm branch of victory and know that you're forever free. Come if you would exchange the furrows of your careworn brow for a jeweled crown. Come if you would see the salvation of the ransomed myriads, the glorified throng which no man can number. Come if you would drink from the pure fountain of celestial bliss. If you would shine as the stars forever in the firmament of glory. If you would share in the unutterable rapture that fills the triumphant hosts as they behold before them unending ages of glory ever brightening and joys ever new. Who of us can resist this invitation. This is the invitation that's given to you. And this is the invitation that we give to others through the word of God. It's an infinite invitation. It's an individual invitation. Number three, it's an intimidating invitation. It is an intimidating invitation. This is verses 18 through 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Prophecy is not just telling future events, it's, it's, a, it's a fourth telling of the message of God. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has said. Sometimes it's future events. Usually it's not even future events. It's not predicting the future. Uh, prophecy is most often in the Bible a, a simple telling. God has said this, not here's a prediction of a future event that's going to happen. And many people ask the question, does the warning here in verse 18 and 19, does it apply only to Revelation or does it apply to the whole Bible? I believe it covers all of Scripture, simply because there are other warnings in the Scriptures not to tamper with the Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32, Deuteronomy 32, Proverbs 30, even the beginning of Revelation. Proverbs 30, verse 6, there's almost an identical expression. Don't mess with the Bible. Don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it, or else you will be cursed. Deuteronomy 32, when Moses is ending the Torah, he ends with a very similar ending, saying, don't add to this book, don't take away from this book. This is God speaking, take him at his word. God himself is no longer adding to this book. So we wouldn't dare add to a book that he says, it's done, it's completed. 
2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, we're done. We have the completed canon. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we have the word of God. It is uh, given to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, in the former days, God would speak through prophets. God would speak through messengers. But in these latter days, he's spoken through his son who has now ascended into heaven. We're done. The canon is complete. So don't add to this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Does that mean that you as a believer can lose your salvation? You will not have access to the tree of life. You will not have access to the holy city, which means you will not be saved. You will not be in heaven. Does this verse mean you can lose your salvation? And the answer is no. This verse is not saying that a genuine believer will ever lose their salvation. This verse is saying a genuine believer would never tamper with the word of God. They're not going to tamper. They're not going to take away or add to the Bible. This is God living out the retribution principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you tamper with God's word, God will tamper with your life. Do not do this. This is a serious, intimidating invitation. Yes, receive, but understand with sobriety, this is serious. And in fact, when we look at God will add to him the nearest plagues which are written in this book, most people go back to some of the crazy things that we saw during the Great Tribulation. But the nearest plague in the book of Revelation, nearest to this word, to the ink being spilled in this section, the nearest plague is the lake of fire. Jesus says, if you are going to tamper with this, if you are going to remove words, add words, make up different prophecies, twist, turn, you will not be saved. You will have a part in the lake of fire. If you reject the invitation... You are heading to hell. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a cult member. And you're not. We're not a cult. (laughs) So I'm not a cult member. So I'm good. And I would say yes, but here's where we struggle. Let's be honest about the way we struggle with this. We struggle when we feel I can read scripture and I don't have to apply it because it doesn't pertain to me. I don't have to apply it. You are tampering with the product of the scriptures. You're not tampering with the scriptures, but you're twisting the byproduct of what the scriptures are designed to produce in us. It's idolatry. It's compromise. It's not applying the word of God, not living according to the word of God, and ultimately not believing the word of God. So no, I don't think that that is exactly what's being stated here, explicitly what's being stated here. This is about removing or adding to the word of God. But I believe that we struggle with the seed form of that. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We are not that far away from making a shipwreck of our faith. We're not that far away from apostasy or idolatry. And I think the seed form of these verses is to say, I can pick and choose what I want to study. I can pick and choose the message that I want to live out. I don't really need to apply that. That doesn't pertain to me. That's why we gather together in small groups to press the word of God deeper into our hearts and say, what are we to do with this? This invitation is an infinite invitation. It's an individual invitation. It's an intimidating invitation. And finally, number four, the fourth reason why we need to listen to this crucial invitation is that number four, it is an immediate invitation. It's an immediate invitation. 
This is verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, surely I am coming quickly. Jesus has said three times in this chapter, I'm coming quickly. Twice before he said, I'm coming quickly. This third time he says, yes, surely, it's true, I'm coming back. He adds that word, yes. I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm coming quickly. It's an immediate invitation. As one pastor says, today is the day of salvation and tomorrow is the devil's day. Don't wait for tomorrow to receive the invitation that's given to you today. Jesus is saying, I am coming quickly. And in essence, Jesus is saying, and you need to come quickly too. Hurry and receive this invitation because I'm on my way. You need to receive this. It's like there's a race. Hurry up and come to Christ or else he will come back and you will be lost. But the Bible doesn't end there. The Bible doesn't end with Hurry up and come to Jesus. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is coming quickly, so do the best you can. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is coming quickly and he's done what he can do, so you do your best now. Good luck. No. John says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. How are we to receive the invitation? How are we to live out the invitation? Only by the grace of God. Only by God's grace. It's not, hey, Jesus is doing his thing and we need to get to work. It's receiving the grace given to us and the beauty of the gospel. How do you tend to end letters? There's a lot of different ways you can end it and they change depending on who you're writing to, your relationship with them. My question is, how do you end a letter like the revelation of Jesus Christ? How do you end this letter? Like, good luck. (laughs) That was nuts. How do you end this letter? He ends with a prayer. He says, number one, according to what Jesus said, I am coming quickly. He says, amen. That's true. It's going to happen. Come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come back. We want you. And then number two, he prays over anyone who will read this book. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. My Bible says be with all. Normally, when John writes and he ends a letter or ends a book, he says the grace of God be with all the saints, all you holy ones. And there's a difference here. And I wonder, it's just speculation, but I wonder, If the difference is because John one last time is saying, I'm not just talking to believers here. I'm talking to anyone who will hear. Anyone who will receive. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. It's an invitation given to everyone. Will you receive it? It is grace that's brought us safe thus far. Grace will lead us home. Do you seek Jesus as a means of getting you to that eternal home so you can have more of him? Do you see the grace that he's given as the means of getting you safely home? This is written to give you encouragement, to give you hope, to bring blessing as you obey it, as we follow the Lord. God has given us grace. This is what Revelation is all 
about. When all is said and done, the tribulation will end. The millennial kingdom will end. All of the realities that we've covered in Revelation have an end point. The Antichrist will rise and fall and be done. The gospel will never end. It will continue throughout eternity. The beauty of the glory of the grace of God will continue forever. That's what Revelation is all about. We've been so encouraged through this series in Revelation, not because we're learning that there isn't some hidden meaning behind horns or beasts. We don't have to be afraid of the number 666 being on your credit card or your social security number. No, the greatest encouragement from our study has come because of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. Week by week, we've been immersing our hearts into the gospel, which is so clearly communicated throughout the entirety of the book of Revelation. We've studied so much in this book. Many different interpretations. Maybe you have a different uh, interpretation regarding the time of the rapture, the place of of Israel and the, uh, the history of redemption or other issues like that found in Revelation. And that's okay. That's okay if we differ on those things. What truly matters more than any of those realities is that we understand the gospel. This is what is of first importance. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I delivered you what was of first importance. It doesn't mean the timing of the rapture or the timing of the tribulation or the Antichrist, who the Antichrist is going to be. It doesn't mean those things are unimportant. It just means that they're less important. There is something that is of first importance, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the very first verse in Genesis through the last verse of Revelation, the Bible is an unfolding narrative of God's sovereignty and lavish expressions of kindness and love towards his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every book, every chapter, every verse in the Bible is a testimony to that God who is a God of grace. So I just have two questions before we partake of communion together. Number one, are you absolutely sure and certain that you've received this invitation? Are you sure? One of the ways that you can know is through your satisfaction, through your desires in Christ being met by Him. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you see Him working out in your heart greater affections for Jesus, greater hatred for sin? You see your taste buds changing, your spiritual taste buds turning from loving sin to now loving the Savior. Are you absolutely certain that you've responded to this invitation? Jesus is coming quickly. It's an immediate invitation. You need to respond quickly as well. Secondly, if you have responded to that invitation, and I know that many of you have, knowing that that invitation has been received and that you're living on the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ, what are you to do? You are to say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, this is true. Amen. This is all true. That's what amen means. Everything that's been stated is true. Jesus is coming back. Come quickly. Jesus, come back quickly. You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be, Aslan said. Lucy said, but we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan. You sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts 
leaped and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. Now the term is over and the holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I can't even write them. And for us, this is the end of all of the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them... It was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read. And it goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Brothers and sisters, all of our adventures here, they're just the beginning of the greatest story in human history. Father, we thank you so much for your word that encourages our hearts. We say with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we want you to come back today. Even as we're singing in response to this sermon, we want you to come back now. We want to be with you. And so until you return or you call us home, We will stand in the power of Christ and the grace of the gospel for the glory of God. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask the men if they would come forward and take the bread and begin distributing it. And as they distribute this uh, element to you, again, I just remind you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, loving him, following him, uh, not perfectly by any means, but you are fighting sin, killing sin, and trusting in the Savior. These elements are for you, so take them from the plate. Hold on to them. We'll partake together as a church family. If you are living in unrepentant 